And APB, American Protection Bureau, voted number one best on Long Island for all your security needs. Call 631-390-9050. That's 631-390-9050. APB. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by... Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine. Yeah. And our friend, Carrie Silken. Carrie, thanks for coming on this evening. We appreciate you, brother. Oh, no problem. It's good to be uh, see some good friends here. How are you, Carrie? I'm doing okay. Andrew, I, I finally recovered. Let's see. Let's see. April 1st was Ring of Honor. So I left Texas April 3rd. What's today? Today's what, the 13th? I think the I recovered by the 10th. <laughs> you told me the other day you were checking to see if I had a pulse. Jesus Christ. No, no, it's good to see you guys. Good to see hey, you too. Carrie, let me get right into it. Now that AEW has bought Ring of Honor, yes. and even before that, when you sold Ring of Honor, you know, there are some people that don't get the credit in the wrestling business they deserve. I, I I can't do the, you justice, but could you start naming guys that started with your company, or if they didn't actually train with your company, that was where they got their break? Because this is uh, amazing. Uh, CM Punk, Low Key, Brian Danielson, Nigel McGuinness, Samoa Joe, Roderick Strong, Jamie Noble. Um, Austin Aries, the Briscoe brothers, Jay Lethal. Um, let's see. Oh, 
Tyler Black, Seth Rollins, Eddie uh-huh. Edwards, Davey Richards, uh, Matt Seidel. Mm-hmm. Want me to keep going? Yeah. yeah. Keep, love it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. Adam, Adam Cole, um, Kyle O'Reilly, uh, Homicide, oh. um, Delirious. You know, then we can move on to the later, oh, the Young Bucks, my, my good friends. Yeah. And uh, the list goes on and on. Well, let me ask you something. Is it like a bittersweet feeling that you were able to find your dream, accomplish your dream, get guys involved in the wrestling business where they've gone way past probably where you thought they were going to go, yet you don't get the recognition you deserve on these guys? Well... And I, you're not that kind of guy. You're not trying to get attraction. It's all subjective. Yeah. I mean, I was never in. I was never in like a position of glory. I, when I, Kevin and Andrew and Matt, I, 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 I looked at myself as a producer. Mm-hmm. I didn't get involved in the booking. I mean, but I needed to. It's like you know, oh, movie produced by Cecil B. DeMille. Boy, is that old time. Movie mm-hmm. produced by whatever Martin Scorsese, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, so what? Are, what are the jobs of the producers? Well, they're supposed to get like the best people. You know, we're talking movies or theater. You're going to get the best actors, the best lighting people, the best carpenters, the best mm-hmm. musicians, so, uh, so on and so forth. The best truck truck, whatever. Yep. So that was my, I always, you know, so in my time in Ring of Honor. Early on with Gabe, Gabe Sapolsky, then Adam Pierce, then Delirious Hunter. And uh, I would say like, hey, so-and-so I'm not crazy about, or I think you should maybe try so-and-so, but I let them do their thing. And I was more interested in, you know, how the thing looked. One thing that's forgotten about in Ring of Honor in between 2003 and four, I brought in lighting. It was rudimentary, but it was four poles, six lamps on each corner. And, and Gabe didn't want it. And Gabe was like a, a rock and roll guy. His favorite band is Rush and he's a Slayer guy, blah, blah, blah. So I would see, he's like, Carrie, I don't want you spending the money. We're just an indie. I go, Gabe, when you go to see Rush, or if you go to see a movie, what happens when the movie starts? Mm-hmm. They turn out the lights. What happens then? Well, the people pop. So we brought that in. And there was another thing. I noticed on Monday Night Raw, they were using those black barriers by ringside instead of the bicycle posts, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it was almost kismet is that the right word kevin yes that the guy sid that worked for me in an attempt to make something it was like almost a mistake instead of making he knew that he had to make something that wouldn't break so he got this like these pieces of like aluminum 
that were like nine, the size of a bicycle rack, whatever mm -hmm. that is, nine feet by three feet. And he had this thin aluminum cut, but it was solid. And we painted the, in black and then the ROH logo. So the people that got those front row tickets, they got to bang on the damn thing. And that yeah. was a big if you if you and Andrew knows mm -hmm. and Matt knows that was a big part of the Ring of Honor show yep. yep. as well as the lighting and as as we got through the dark ages two thousand five six seven I, you know and I'm a rock and roll guy we kept adding stuff we had lasers this that compared to what uh, WWE or AEW does this is like a joke but at the level we were doing it. And you know what we had the most of? Pipe and drape. <laughs> I would never let there be an empty seat. I remember going to see my 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 boys, Jethro Tull. This was like in 2000. And the keyboard player at the time I knew, I said, I went out to Arizona. I said, where were you guys last night? He goes, oh, we were in Salt Lake City. I go, how was it? He goes, looked like a fucking furniture sale out there. Oh my God. Right. You know, they had a half a house. Yeah, yeah. But, um, in my case, if we were in Dayton, Andrew, Kevin, Matt, if we had 400 people, you would not see an empty chair. Yeah. So I tried to do all that. And I don't know, Kevin, I felt I've gotten enough credit or recognition. It's all good. Yeah, well, good. One of the things that I noticed that you, you, you were heavy on perception with that how people perceived it, seeing whether the seats were full or not. That was a, a big, big, big factor in Ring of Honor. It never looked like it was empty, you know? Well, Kevin will tell you, and Andrew, you've been all over the world. You know, uh, WCW, WWE, whatever, sometimes they have 3,000 people for TV. You ain't going to see an empty seat. Nope, nope. nope. You, know? And, uh, you know, when Ring of Honor was... You guys were busy, but April 1st with the Ring of Honor show with Tony Khan, there was 22,000 people in a 3,500 seat setup, mm -hmm. but he knew how to light it, or mm -hmm. they knew how to light it. So it just didn't give you the chance to see that. You mean, Terry, I don't want to interrupt you. Right. You meant 2,200, not 22,000. No, 2,200. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In a thirty-five seat building, but you yeah, wouldn't. Know. Uh, but you just couldn't see an empty seat. Yeah. So uh, it's all about perception. Okay, as we're spinning off of that, where, what do you think? And I'm not putting you on the spot, but what do you think they're going to do with Ring of Honor? Will they put it as a separate entity? Will they try to restart it? Will they try to? Will they cross guys back and forth? You guys know as much as I do, legitimately. Okay. And I spoke to Bobby Cruz. He called me. He was there last night because they had the uh, Samoa Joe uh, Minoru Suzuki match. And Bobby's asking, like, you know, he'd like to know he has a job, just like all of us would like to know if we what we have. And I don't think they're ready yet, but to answer your question the best I can, I'm just guessing it's going to either be two weeks, two months, or six months. Yeah. And when Tony Khan finds a space to put this on 
cable TV, or maybe just YouTube. Um, I think the Ring of Honor will roll out. It'll be its own. This is just Carrie Silken dreaming. It'll right. be its own separate entity. And hopefully there won't be cross-pollination. I was very happy to see last night, and I spoke to him earlier in the day, and I know, Kevin, you like this guy, and Andrew, you, you guys, Dalton Castle Great guy. Is, is coming in to wrestle Jonathan Gresham Friday in Texas for the ROH World's title. So that's good. Look, we're in a lot better hands than we were a few months ago. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I like that idea that you said, too. Separate entity, keep them, don't cross-pollinate, and maybe build them up and go for a Super Bowl best four right. out of seven. Like a year from now. Like yeah, a year from yeah. now. Yeah. A lot of people a lot of people were speculating that it was going to be another ECW like when it fell into Vince's hands. So it was a flash in a pan, you know? Right. Well, it could, I mean, I, I I don't know. Once again, I don't want to speak for Tony, but for everything I've heard and everything I've seen, uh, he has some respect for pro wrestling. And uh I think he's gonna do the right thing for lack awesome. of a better way to put it. That's awesome to hear. That's awesome well, to hear. But I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Kerry, I agree with you too. He respects pro wrestling. He was a huge fan, like all of us were a huge mm -hmm. fans. Yeah. Oh, we wouldn't be doing yeah. this. You wouldn't have posters on your wall. But I, 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 and I do like the idea, like you said, don't cross pollinate, make it a separate entity. Mm -hmm. And then they can build angles into when it's almost time for them to start working with one another. There would be so many different things they can do because I was reading the, that uh, book on the sheet just recently. Oh yeah. How, I mean, I, I spoke to that Brian Solomon and I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, it's gotta be fascinating. It is. It's fascinating. Fascinating. He was very, very kind to the Sheik too. Wow. So well, you must, Kevin, you must have known the Sheik. He was friends well, with the. Well, when you read the book, you'll see how many times I'm in there. Huh. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I don't remember you working in Detroit much. No, but I brought. I, I got fired in Florida one time because. Uh, they kind of thought I was I was going to do something like I was working with Mario when I was booking in Florida, and I was trying because Mario was in our town towns with his TV, actually had better channels than us, and then somebody got in their air, and uh, I got fired. And uh, about three days later, I get a phone calls from the Sheik. I worked with him one time when Barnett started going to Ohio. In West Virginia, Sheik brought me into work with him in uh, Charleston, West Virginia. And other than that, I hadn't even had, I'd never talked to him in the dressing room, you know. And he called me, he said, man, this happened to me before too, man. He said, I'm going to offer you something. You can take it if you want. Up until that time, it was the most guaranteed money I ever met, made in my life. 
Not only did he give me a, a big guarantee, it was what, going up. Kevin, what year are we talking about here, please? This is 86. Okay. I went up to, he, he had Ontario out of Detroit too, right? And I uh, went to Ontario. Not only did he pay me, he took care of hotels, food, bar bills, everything. He was a super guy to me. And that's, we, me and Mark went together and Mark had either the second or third match that Boo ever had. I had matches with him too. So I never forgot what he did for me. I'd book him in Japan. Uh, I booked him, I booked, I went with him to Japan, but I booked him in Florida. I booked him in Hawaii with me. I booked him in uh, the Bahamas. ECW, I work, got to work with him. So it, he was- And where was that? Which, which company in Japan? This is when he got to uh, uh, Onita, FMW. FMW, okay, I thought, I thought as well, yeah. Because uh, Onita and, was talking about the Sheik the other day. What? Onita was talking to me about the Sheik and you the other day, how, how you brought Sheik in Japan. So I was, uh, I was pretty much sure it was FMW. Yeah, and uh, he was a great guy, great guy. Uh, you know, and I've heard other stories about bad payoffs. You always heard the story about the funks and a bunch of guys went in to help him in Detroit, but he wasn't there that night. He was either hurt or something. And his son comes in and says, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. They robbed the cash box at the office, you know, so... It wasn't, but I don't, I can't remember in the book and I read it. He just, he was very kind to him and I really appreciate it because, hey, for the problem, what happened, Kerry and Andrew and Maddie, see if you think I'm right, Kerry. In the fifth, because you're, you're a historian, in the 50s, the promoters were promoters. There was very few wrestlers that were promoters. If they were, they ran the towns for the promoters. Right. Then, after, then after the when Vern got it, uh, Fritz got it. Eddie. Yeah, but Eddie was the only one that retired. Eddie retired at forty. Okay. 40 years old because he knew he saw what those other guys did. Vern stays world champion and he, he was a shooter and all that, but he didn't look the part anymore at 55. So yeah. you think it was better to have these guys that were truly promoters as opposed to wrestlers? Yeah, yeah because the only that's where I was going with this. The only one that stepped aside was Eddie. And he was he was uh, 40 years old when he retired. He came back for a special referee. And one time, me and Mike were wrestling the Samoans, and uh, Mike really hurt himself in a motorcycle accident. And then he comes and defended the belts. And here's the crazy thing with, with it, he comes to defend the belt with me, he does the job. So he was the only one, whether it was, you know, uh, like I said, Vern, 
Freddie Blassie in in uh, California. California. You know what I mean? They all, you know, it's hard to get where they were. They didn't want to give it up, but they weren't helping the younger guys. Right. And th that's what jumped out at me in this book where I, I, I've gone a long way around to get to it. He keeps on saying in the book, wrestling's looking, was looking for the next big thing. We always want something new, Kerry, right? Right. And that's what they stymied in pro, uh, those territories a lot. They well, stymied. Didn't, Sheik, didn't the Sheik essentially kill himself by oh, this winning streak? He killed two territories. He had but, a winning But he had a seven, eight-year run of huge business. Yeah, but he didn't. And then when he tried to change, he should have had, in my head, he should have had a line where he said, when I hit this in Cobo Hall, I got to really put some brain power in this and give the younger guys. He went to Toronto. And not only that, when he went to Toronto, he had like 146 Right, Come and the Andre the Giant when he, yeah, he, he beat Andre. And not only that, Kerry, guys, his matches were going like four or five, six minutes. You can't do that every show. No. You know, and that's and he did that to Detroit too. And hey, he was smart too for a long time. Like the bruiser came in on top of him, trying to take the territory from him. You know, the bruiser was next door in Indiana. And uh, Sheik beat him. And then Sheik was smart enough to understand they could make money. But they came together and had these big, big blow-offs in uh, Detroit in Indianapolis and the other towns around each other's territory. But there was never a deciding fall taken in any of the matches. No, no. Their ego is too big. Their ego is too big. So sometimes I think that the, that's why it's funny to think of it now because he wrestled at WrestleMania. Vince, maybe that's why it was so easy for him to steamroll across the United States because he was he was not worried about himself. Well, I don't know if it was easy, but speaking of old time promoters that weren't wrestlers, I do you guys mind if I ask a question? Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, on my podcast that I do with Ian Riccoboni, Last Stop Penn Station, we, we're, we're, we're joking. You know, and he's, got a, he's a young kid, but he's got a good sense of history. And uh, Andrew, I'm going to bring up a name that you might not even know. Okay. And it's okay, because it's in the distant past. Okay. Might know. There, Andrew, before, do you remember, are you old enough to remember when Jack Tunney was the... Yeah. Right. Yes. Who Jack. was the president of the WWWF before yep. him? Yep. Who's, do you know who the president uh, was uh, um, uh, uh, Not, not uh, Willie Gilsenberg. Do that. Yes. Ah. I got it. Nice. Nice. Now check Good. it out. 
to the man who doesn't remember his anniversary. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Good. And, and here, before I'm going to like give Kevin the floor, my parents and were, you know, Newark, N-E-W-A-R-K, Newark, New Jersey mm-hmm. Jews. And that community, they knew everybody. Yep. Right? And I think I mentioned this to Kevin. And I got a poster. I, I can't pull it down right now. But Willie Gilsenberg had a partner in Newark. His name was Babe, B-A-B, like Babe Ruth, Babe yep. Cullen. And, okay. But Willie was associated with WWWF. I think he got thrown out of New York State for a while for some shady boxing matches. I could but before, before I let Kevin share his experience, I would see it. You know, they would have him on TV once every five months, six, seven months. He'd be just like, I declare this match a Texas death match. <laughs> now, now was it was was it Willie partners with uh, with Gorilla Monsoon? Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. He he was involved with Arnold Spelman. But check it out, Andrew. Well, we go to the Ritz Theater at the in Elizabeth. Okay. And it's like 1975 or six. We're we're high as a kite, stoned <laughs> out, right? Oh, having fun. And the main event was like Haystacks Calhoun and Tony Garia against uh, whoever the Samoan somebody. But on the box office, right? Uh-huh. Like they took a magic marker and they wrote. Haystacks leg infected, no refunds. <laughs> so we go into the show and it was like 90% Latino at least. Well, why Willie Gilsenberg thought he should do this is beyond me. So the show's ready to start, you know, classic opening bout, Johnny Roz against Arnold Scullin or Tony Alton, whatever. Yeah, Tony um, and, and And Willie comes in the ring. And I shouldn't make fun of him because I almost tripped in Texas over the ropes. I can't move that good. So Willie trips on the bottom rope and falls down. Oh, my God. And he gets up and he's like, give me the mic. God damn it. Give me the mic. <laughs> and he's like, so the, remember those little, you guys are all old enough to, yep. remember those little orange juice cartons? Yep. Yep. Right. So they either had orange juice or beer. That's it. That's great. So they were throwing. That. So Willie's like, stop it. I'll close this fucking down. I stopped here to tell you that Haystacks Calhoun is not here. And you're not getting your fucking money back. So fuck y'all. <laughs> <There's> a- <laughs> Kevin, a- sorry I- for that long rant, but oh, I- tell me about Willie. It seems okay, like after that, the time was to go to Krug's and then have a few burgers, right? Right. Well, let me tell you about Willie. <laughs> Willie used to come in the gardens, but he'd have to hide. He wouldn't <laughs> because he was barred from any sporting event in New York. And the thing was, if you go back, if you go back, this goes back to remember uh raging bull movie yep. when he put johnny saxon over yeah you remember that do you remember that gary yep 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 yeah you remember the movie where he puts johnny sax over yes of course robert okay. sax okay willie had some part of that promotion 
that fight in Cleveland. And then that's what they did. That's what they did. He was barred from any, you know, he ran the longest running boxing events of all times. He ran it over 50 years every Friday night in Newark. Right. Wow. And check this out, Andrew. You know, I, I learned from reading the magazines, you had to be 14 years old to go to boxing or wrestling in New York. Yep. They changed it in 74. So I was dying to go I, to I'm wrestling. Gonna, I'm going to throw something in. I'm going to ask you, why did, do you know why you had to be 16? 14. 14? Uh, four, it was 14. I, I don't know. Oh, I know why. Because of the riots. Yeah, exactly. The riot with a Bruiser and, right. and so Rocker. I would be watching wrestling at 10 years old, and I'd hear the ads. And now, my once again, my parents were old Newark Jews. This is 1966. The city of Newark was bad. Yeah, and really. I said to my father, hey, Dad, <laughs> they said wrestling's coming to the Newark Armory. He's like, yeah. <laughs> we're not going there. Yeah, yeah, we're not going. That's great. You're, we're not going. He's coming kid. to the Patterson Armory. It's <laughs> 1966. He's like, we're not going to Patterson. No. But anyway, I'm sorry, Kevin Willie. Oh yeah, Willie. Uh, he had set some that fight up, and there was another questionable fight. Uh, not questionable. It was found out to be thrown in. Uh, I think it was either in St. Nicholas Arena. Kerry, can you remember the arenas there? It was St. Nicholas, there was Sunnyside, and there was Sunnyside, St. Nicholas, and I think they used to have it at the New York Coliseum. There was another one, too, that was in the 23rd Bronx. Street Armory yeah. or some shit? 23rd Street Armory. He had thrown, the, and there was like a... a I, I think it was a Nino Valdez fight. Do you remember that name? No. No. He was a Cuban. He was, he was actually, Patterson ducked him the whole time he was champion. He's the guy that stopped Danny Hodges' winning streak at 14. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, speaking of, yeah. speaking of armories, I got to tell you a funny story. My grandfather on my mother's side, passed away after a wrestling show at the Jersey City Armory. Another fine facility. On April, another fine facility. April 1st, April 1st, like 1964 or 63. He died of a heart attack there. April for April for, <laughs> for listeners, April 1st, 1992. No, 1995. I'm wrestling in the Jersey City Armory. And you know what my aunt says to me? She says, I don't want you to die of a heart attack like your grandfather did. <laughs> Have a good match. Running the family with that place. Andrew, the last show I saw in Jersey City was the IWA with Eddie Einhorn. Yep, I remember that. And uh, he was trying to take over the world. But, um... <laughs> Kevin, I never let you really tell it. Did you have any interactions with Willie? Oh, he would say hello, but he'd be ducked into the corner. I mean, this was a shoot. They didn't want anybody to see him. And uh, he, would, he would mostly, in the gardens back then, 
if you were looking at the door, looking out, turned around, coming back to the dressing room, on the left-hand side, Vince had his senior had his office back there. And Willie would stay in that darkened corridor. You know, he wasn't being seen by the athletic commission. Would have stirred things up. Yeah. It's just interesting stuff. Crazy, right? Right. Crazy. And you want to hear something funny? Yes. That first thing, that April 1st thing in 1963 or whatever, Johnny Valentine was wrestling on the show and in the main event when my grandfather had a heart attack. And when I was wrestling on the undercard in 1995, Greg was on the main event. Interesting. Wow. Oh, so you got Valentine to Valentine. Yep, and I have the poster, the poster to prove it. It was pretty keep funny. Shit, keep this shit up, Drew. I'm going to have it that it was you that shot Kennedy. I was just going to bring up Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got to go to Dealey Plaza again when we were in Dallas. And yep. uh, it, it's just always fascinating. Yeah. Always fascinating. You went uh, to the, the, the book depository. I, went to, I never had gone to the museum. I'd been in the plaza. And uh, I'm, a, I'm very interested in that whole situation. It's not a conspiracy. It was a murder from three sides. But whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I'm interested in it. But yeah, it was really nice to go there. That's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. I love it. You know, you know, when we're always traveling, we never get to see anything. In the wrestling right. business. That's why I got to Texas on Tuesday, so I could hang yeah. out. Yeah, Kerry, you're saying that we're going to go. We're going to go earlier, get a day in. Well, go at visit. least we got oh. to have some dinners there. Yeah, we Kerry. got to have dinners. And when I went to when I went to London, when I wrestled in uh in um in the UK uh, in uh, February, I got there a few days early, and and the promoter took me to to Piccadilly Circus, he took me to Windsor Castle, which was closed. Figures, right? And uh, he took me to uh car uh to uh um. What is it? The, the Big Abbey over there. Big Ben. Uh, Big Ben was under construction. Oh. It was reconstruction. Can you figure that out? Right? Bitch. right? So it was, was pretty cool. his way of telling you to stay home, bro. Yeah, I think so, right? Like, Mr. Anderson, we'd prefer if you'd not come back. <laughs> no, and on that note, guys, I'm going to take a quick break to, uh, to hear from our sponsors. So, folks, we'll be back in a couple moments. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the action with our special guest, Carrie Silken. So as you were saying, gents. Hey, Carrie, I got a question for you. You were talking about all those little arenas, right? Yes. Did you ever go to Madison Square Garden Bowl? Well, that was before my time. That was in Queens. That's what I was asking you. That was torn down early, Carrie. Yes, that was in, from what I've read, it's, it was in Queens. Really? Yes, yes, Andrew. Don't feel bad. It's like from, I think, the 30s, 40s. Wow. Um, yeah, they had a Madison Square Garden Bowl, like in Astoria, kind of. Wow. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, no, I never went there. Um I, well, first, you must have went to Roosevelt Stadium. Well, yeah, I saw that match at Roosevelt Stadium, Stadium. Eddie Einhorn. My first live wrestling, even though they had that 14-year-old rule uh-huh. that was enforced at the Garden, my Uncle Henry, check this out, and you'll know this name, Kevin. My Uncle Henry 
says to me, I said, oh, Uncle Henry, I want to go see the wrestling, but I'm not old enough. He's like, oh, he goes, I'll, I'll call my friend Manny. Well, he was calling Manny Hecklin, who ran Sunnyside. Yep. Now, Sunnyside Gardens was in uh, 45th Street, Sunnyside, Queens. And this was 1967. And so Henry calls back a couple days later. He goes, oh, we're all set up. Manny said, fuck them. We don't, <laughs> we don't follow the age thing. <laughs> and they didn't. And uh, I wasn't the only kid there. That was 1967. What a card. Uh, Arnold Skull and Johnny Roz, Miguel Perez, Angelo Savaldi, Bull Ortega, Luke Graham, Tank Morgan, Spiros Arion. Uh, it was wonderful. Wow. Kerry, that uh, Sunnyside Garden, right? I used to love to work there. You know why? I would catch the Amtrak from Boston. That's a beautiful trip. You go right on the coast of Rhode right. Island, and I would get off at Grand Central, right. go upstairs. Yeah, two stops, get off, walk right down the stairs, and there's Sunnyside right there. That's still, that's still a, it, it's always been a very good neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's sad that these kind of things, I mean, whatever. It's sad that everything is what it is, but these were great staples, you know? I just passed by the old Roosevelt Stadium just now on Kennedy Boulevard. What's couple, there? It's condominiums. Yeah. You know, I saw Kiss there in 1976. I got you beat. I saw Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young the night... Wow. Now, wait, the night Nixon resigned. No kidding. You couldn't get a, a more appropriate band, oh. you know, with their songs, Ohio and Chicago. You know, they were one mm -hmm. American protest bands. And uh, yeah, so I was there two years. What, what were you, Andrew? Like five years old when you went like, to? Like seven. Okay. <laughs> So, but I saw Kiss there, and I, I think I saw Yes. Uh, Kiss was my first concert. I saw Kiss there, and I, I saw Yes there. I think Judas Priest opened up for Kiss at that show, or I think Probably. it was, or 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 Stars, or Stars, or somebody like that. Kerry, Kerry, do you remember Roosevelt Stadium that the Dodgers used to play ten games a year there? That's which one? The one in Jersey. It was before my time, but I heard about that. Now, yeah. that must have been to try to appease the people from New York and New Jersey yep. when the Dodgers left Brooklyn, right? Yeah. No, this oh, is man. when they were in Brooklyn. Really? It was the Roosevelt yeah. Stadium in Brooklyn? No. No, no. They used to they, play on the Jersey side. They played 10 games a year. It's like this. When the NBA, when I was a kid, you could get, buy an NBA game for $3,000. Nobody remembers, they all remember Will Chamberlain scoring 100 points, right? But nobody remembers yeah. where it was. It was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. The Celtics used to play in Rhode Island, Providence, Hartford, Portland, Maine. They played, 
for $3,000. And that's back in the day, too, was the reason why the Dodgers were playing over in Roosevelt Stadium, what I've read was Robert Moses. Who, oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he wouldn't give him the stadium. Mm-hmm. And that they, they were trying to scare him that they were going to move, and then they did, you know. Wow. Yeah, wow. Robert Moses was a funky guy, that's for sure. Isn't there a stadium named, named after him somewhere there? Or? And a state park. He's got a state park. Isn't that good enough? Uh, yeah, Robert Moses State Park. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He, he's an interesting cat, that's for sure. But yet he yet he sort of formed, you know, he, he sort of formed uh the the infrastructure of the city in Long Island. Yeah. I'm sure his pockets were being lined, but of course. Yeah. And he did the uh, World's Fair. Right. He designed the World's Fair. Wow. So, you know, 69, yeah. right? It's still there. It's still 64. there today. 64. 64 World's Fair. Yeah, it's still there I today. My parents took me. I was eight years old and it was so busy and so frustrating. And I remember. There's a, you know, like I don't remember a lot from this era, but I remember standing online with my father and mother, like just to get a hot dog and a and a drink, and it just sucked. It yeah. just fucking sucked. You know, they didn't have it organized. We were probably there on a Saturday afternoon, but my parents were good people, and they just wanted to take me. Yeah, my, my parents did that. We literally lived one mile from Palisades Amusement Park growing up in Clifton Park. And I remember as a kid going on that roller coaster that they put the, the tarp down on you. Yep. You couldn't see what the hell was going on. I, I think that was the first time I legitimately shit myself in public. Yep, and that and then you, you got mad and you burned the, the fucking place down, right? <laughs> <laughs> see, he just admitted to burning the place down, Kev. We that was, that was. <laughs> I knew it, you bastard. I knew it. <laughs> Kevin, were you ever Palisades Amusement Park? No, but I remember the song. The song. At Palisades Park. Yeah. Play yeah. all day or after dark or some shit. Yeah. Yep. Like <laughs> hey, how was, how was the Jethro Tull band, the, 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 the concert that I missed? Oh, the Martin Barr show? Yeah. Is, I mean, he's the guy that was with them for, yep. you know, 40 years. That was all his solos and Aqualung and everything. Well, right. I mean, whether it's Aqualung, Locomotive Breath, whatever. Locomotive Breath. It was him. Awesome. You know, him and Ian. So, yeah, yep. it was wonderful. Next uh, year, next year, Andrew. I'll be there. All right. I'll be there. God willing, we're all alive. We'll be there. I hope so. Hey, right. don't, don't be killing anybody there, Bubba. No, I'm just now. saying, you know, these days, you know. So, I'm not going right. to ride New York anymore. Well, thank thank you guys for letting me on with you. Thanks, Gary. Gary, I love you, man. It was great having you on hey, the show. It's can, very big honor. Yes. Let, let Gary plug this podcast, Drew. Oh, yeah. Last Stop Penn Station. Uh, there's plenty of episodes. If you like to hear about New York City in the 70s, 80s, and a lot of pro wrestling stuff, but it's built on characters. Mm-hmm. And we've got four characters here. Yeah. Kids don't understand. I mean, 
these 16, 17, 15, 20, 30 year old kids. I mean, if you're staring at your phone all day, how are you going to develop? You know, what's going to happen to crazy Louie down the street? Right? Yeah, yeah. What's going to happen to old uncle, old farting uncle Joe? <laughs> Everybody it's had like it. It's going to be nothing. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't make the millennials crawl up into a ball and cry, Carrie. That's well, not yeah. the no, that's not Penn Station. There's plenty of good stories. New York, uh, ticket scalping, a uh, lot, lot, uh, lot of fun stories and a lot of stories that I describe as fun, but they were very rough. Wow. So, I'm sure they were. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank love, you, Carrie. Much appreciation. Everybody have a good night. And much love to Monty and the Farrah. Oh, for having well, us. Carrie, before you go away, before you go away, Carrie. Yes. You're a cigar aficionado. You remember, remember those cigars I gave you the last time? Very Couple good. Of, they were from Maddie. Maddie, we're going to go. Thank you. You got to gotta let me know what you're used to smoking, Carrie, and I'll take care of you. I, I usually like Padron anniversaries, but I've been taking it easy lately, and I've been smoking more of a Connecticut wrapper. I, I got you covered on both sides, brother. I'll text All you right. and grab, grab your address. Thank you, bro. You got it. See Gentlemen, you have a good night. Love Much love and stay safe. Kevin, take it easy. Andrew, Thanks, take care, man. Love you, bud. Love you, love too. You guys.